Hello, welcome once again to Cave of the Cross Apologetics. I am Patrick. And I'm Tony. And uh, we're in the first uh, apologetic method for our book, Faith Has Its Reasons, an interrogative approach to defending Christianity by Kenneth Boa and Robert M. Bowman Jr. And so uh, was, uh, we're kind of in the, the second part of our book, and uh, we have four different kind of uh, uh, big uh, apologetic methods that we're covering. This is the first one. There's classical, uh, evidential, uh, reformed, and then uh, fetism. And so uh, each one that we're going to do now, uh, if you want to go back to kind of our first uh, few episodes, lays the foundation of the book. And here uh, in, in our last chapter, we've we've kind of hit the broad overview of the classical uh, method and then some of the key players uh, especially um, who they kind of focus on as kind of embodying the 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 uh, basic uh, building block for the classical model. So for for um, uh, this is uh, Thomas Aquinas uh, for our classical method, or uh, Norman Geisler is, is someone that they're going to refer uh, to as well. And so um, we've um, kind of set that up. And so now we're going to talk about um, just the the different ways in which the classical model will answer those questions that we went over. And so we'll cover those uh, questions to remind us of the the layout and the structure of, of the rest of uh, this chapter, but also what all the other chapters will look like for their own method. So that's, right. what, uh, that's so what this, we're gonna... this chapter kind of gives the, uh, there's some fundamental questions about truth and philosophy and science and that sort of thing that right. they want to see how this approach interacts with those various fundamental questions. Right. So we are on chapter five, the classical apologetics, a reasonable faith. Uh, again, uh, the focus for the classical model is the focus of reason. And uh, our authors start out by saying, in the previous chapter, we surveyed a number of apologists working in the classical tradition. Although they vary among themselves, all emphasize the importance of showing the theistic worldview to be reasonable in order to present the evidences for the facts of Christianity effectively to non-theists. So again, uh, if, if, uh, if you've heard us talk about kind of the two-step approach for classical model, it's, uh, you know, uh, prove that uh, God is possible or probable or more likely or uh, that uh, all evidence points uh, to the fact that there is a God. And then your second step, the, th the thing that you do after you've kind of um, uh, built your case is then, okay, but which God or what are the characteristics of God? And so uh, there you're going you're gonna to take more of an evidential approach, uh, um, possibly, and uh, um, uh, highlight the truths of Christianity uh, that bring about. So it could be miracles. It could be uh, the the resurrection specifically. Uh, it could be uh, design arguments. Uh, it could be um, um, uh, scriptural uh, support uh, for how we see the world and uh, and and uh, bolstering the claims of who exactly that God is. And so uh, th that's kind of the known method, the two-step approach method for a classical model here. All right, so it is the methodological principle, however, uh, differently understood and applied that typifies the classical apologetic approach, and that's what we'll, we'll uh, get into. Right. So as we mentioned in this chapter, we consider how this principle is related to various crucial areas of human knowledge that our authors say have an important bearing on the truth claims of Christianity. And so these are... Uh, uh, 
areas are represented by six questions. And again, we uh, looked at these questions at the beginning of the book, but let's just kind of go over them again so that they're fresh in everybody's mind. The first question is, on what basis do we claim that Christianity is the truth? So what is the basis that we claim that Christianity is the truth, right? And of course, they're going to answer that with logic and rationality and that sort of thing. Secondly, what is the relationship between apologetics and theology? So how does apologetics relate to theology? Thirdly, should apologetics engage in a philosophical defense of the Christian faith? So what is the role of philosophy with regard to apologetics? Fourth, can science be used to defend the uh, Christian faith? So again, science, where, where does science fit? Uh, regarding apologetics. Fifth, can the Christian faith be supported by historical inquiry, right? So again, the uh, history and how does that relate to uh, the Christian faith and apologetics? And then finally, how is our knowledge of Christian truth uh, related to our experiences, our personal experiences? And so uh, those are the six questions now that they're going to walk us through as we consider this classical approach to uh, to apologetics. Right. Right. So, uh, you know, you can use this book as a reference guide and um, um, uh, hopefully our videos, once we break them down, uh, like we usually do on YouTube, Rumble, uh, CaveToTheCross.com, uh, uh, you'll be able to match up uh, exactly these same types of questions as well and um, and see where they differ or where they're similar. But uh, we also go through that uh, uh, with our authors um, uh, towards the end of, of each section as well and highlighting the positives and negatives. So uh, as, as far as maybe the interconnective play between the different models, uh, that might be something that's left up to your humble uh, podcast hosts um, or um, or you as the, the reader. Again, we, we can't cover everything in this uh, uh Massive tome, but uh, but uh, um, we're uh, we're happy to go over it and um, re rereading it again uh, shows me that uh, this is always a, a good um, a, a good uh, resource uh, that I can uh, offer people who are wanting to get more and more into apologetics and and seeing well okay you're telling me there's more than just uh, harping on the resurrection uh, very very important uh, jumping off point but uh, uh, there are there are other um, other considerations to do as well. Okay, so first we're going to have the rational test for determining truth. And in the classical approach, there is no substantive conflict between faith and reason. There, it's, it's not a war. It's not, well, you know, we have to put our reason aside and and uh, leap off into the darkness. If, if you watched uh, pretty much any uh, uh, secular take on, on, a, on a, a Christian uh, person in a movie, it's always explaining this this uh, faith as, uh, oh, you know, th th this is just something that we have to do. There, there's... The, the, it's it's put your mind away and and trust God uh, completely in this and and there's no the, the, uh, there there can be really no overlap. Well, that's not exactly what the Bible tells us to do. It's not what uh, God throughout history has uh, revealed. And uh, for our classical uh, approach, uh, it's definitely uh, the, the, the not uh, not the the way to take it because in fact they're focusing on uh, the the uh, matchup between both faith and reason. The Christian right. world. So, so, yeah. so some folks consider, you know, this this notion of faith and reason as in conflict with one another. Right. That's one model of it. Uh, let's take Dawkins, for instance. He right. believes that there's a conflict between faith and reason. 
And so reason always wins out and faith uh, loses, right? So this approach is suggesting that no, there really isn't a substantive conflict between the two, that actually they, they work together. Right. So the Christian worldview is a reasonable faith, a step into the light of reason and truth rather than the leap into the darkness and irrationality and subjectivity. To show this reasonableness, classical apologists stress the need to compare and evaluate conflicting worldviews and means of certain epistemological criteria, chief among which is logical consistency or rationality. And if you've been a, a viewer, a listener to the show, uh, this might sound a little apologetic-y and uh, or, uh, presuppositionally. And so, uh, uh, you know, we, we might uh, uh, say that uh, uh, one, one view is stealing from another view, uh, which one came first, chicken or egg uh, type deal. But uh, but here, um, uh, a focus on worldview is still uh, what apologetics does. And one of the reasons that we focus our show um, of of saying, okay, uh, how how is how, what is the best laid plans that we can do for this, and and at least for the classical model here, uh, the invitation is to uh, attempt to step on a neutral platform or uh, step down to uh, to the unbelievers' point of view, and then reason them up into um, a theism, and then uh, um, it might not be a a full uh, transitional uh, thing, or it might not be uh, as as uh, uh, stark a divide as theism and then Christianity. It could be a, a mixture of it, but uh, the goal is to to kind of hop them uh, to uh, to belief here. So belief in God is is rational. So, for instance, um, uh, Geisler, uh, while he maintains that the standard forms of rationalism are deficient because they fail to demonstrate that their first principles are rationally necessary, right? There's no basis for them. And this is what you were getting at, this uh, overlapping of presuppositional type of approaches, right? The basis of these first principles he's suggesting here uh, are not shown from the uh, non-theist uh, perspective. Nevertheless, he maintains that logic is an indispensable an excellent negative test for truth. Uh, it's very useful in disproving, for instance, truth claims. But it's notice insufficient alone as a positive test for truth, right? So it can show something that is not true. It can show that when we're outside of the bounds of truth, but he's suggesting that it's insufficient alone as a positive test for truth. Uh, so this doesn't mean that Geisler does not view logic as a test for truth, but only that logic cannot discover truth, uh, you know, alone by itself. So that's mm -hmm. what he's getting at here. Right. right. So it's a good tool that we can use there. But yeah. such comments about the limits of rationality alone should not obscure the primary role that logic or reason plays in classical apologetics. According to Geisler, logic is the basis for all thought about God. It's how God thinks. And so we follow that uh, through its logical con conclusion by attempting to be like God as much as possible in our thought and um, um, outpouring of that in our uh, classical uh, approach to um, apologetics. So while the classical apologetics uses arguments that, if sound, yield certain conclusions, they're offer, often content to con conclude simply that belief in God, as well as in Christ, is reasonable. 
Right. And so they give us an example of William Lane Craig. They they suggested his view of the relationship between faith and reason merits a closer consideration. Right. So let's kind of walk through how they suggest that uh, we look at what Craig is doing here. So first, they tell us Craig suggests that the way that we notice and there's a distinction here between knowing and showing that Christianity is true. So first, Craig suggests that the way we know Christianity to be true is by the self-authenticating witness of God's Holy Spirit. So we know Christianity is true by an inner witness of the Spirit, right? The Spirit is self-authenticating, and the Spirit then speaks to our spirit to let us know that Christianity is true. But when it comes to showing, Craig suggests, that Christianity is true, the roles of the Holy Spirit's witness and of argument are somewhat reversed, right? So showing that Christianity is true involves presenting sound and persuasive arguments for Christian truth claims. These arguments may be either deductive or inductive, but in both forms of reasoning, logic and fact are the keys to showing soundly that a conclusion is true, right? So notice he makes this distinction between knowing and showing, and we know Christianity is true by the work of the Holy Spirit, but we have to show it by logical argumentation. Mm -hmm. Right. So a uh, little influence from Plantica here, probably for, uh, on, on Craig, um, who uh, highly respects Plantica. Um, uh, but, you know, it, it's it's the this uh, different aspect between um Okay, uh, my wife walks into the room. I know who she is. I don't have to refer to a picture of her, but if I'm going to show somebody that she's my wife, I might pull out our marriage certificate or uh, the the day of our wedding. And so uh, I I know she's my wife. It's it's not like she leaves the room and all of a sudden I'm a, I'm a un unmarried bachelor here and and uh, you know I'm I'm, I'm completely switched <laughs> around and I I, I I need it always in in front of me. Uh, no, no, I, I, I know it. And so um, it's uh, this distinction that Craig is making here. And he's done this as, as well in, in other books uh, f in his model as well in uh, admitting to it. Uh, I think we've referenced a number of times uh, the Counterpoint series um, um, of uh, five views of apologetics. Uh, th this is a, an initial point he makes in that uh, in his writing for that as well. Yeah. And, and another illustration might be your signature. Right. You right. see your signature on a piece of paper and you know it's your signature. Right. But if you're going to show that that is your signature, you're going to have to give some proof. Right. So you rewrite your signature and then now you compare. I mean, you see, yeah, that is my signature. Right. right. So you can know it. He's claiming here, uh, you know, it's self-authenticating. We know. But in order to show that that's my signature, I'm going to have to give some some proof, some evidence, some arguments and that sort of thing. Yeah. So that's the distinction here. And that's somewhat helpful, I believe. Yeah. Although, I mean, uh, so I, I had uh, something like this happen at my work where I had to contact the police and then uh, provide a statement that uh, I knew that this person was the suspect. And so they said, well, how did you know it? Did you come back and, and reference a picture? I go, no, I, I know who that person is. And I, I looked at him and I went, oh, that's this person. It's like, oh, OK, so this is the photo that you referenced. It's like, no, 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 I didn't reference any photo. I've had so many <laughs> dealings with this person. I, I looked at him and I went, oh, I know who this is and I can swear that this is the person. But how do I show the police officer that? Well, that might be a little bit uh, uh, of a distinction where I have to build up uh, a certain amount of cases where here's the, the number of times that I've had fam uh, familiar 
familiar with him through experience. And then ultimately I can say, oh, I'm, you know, this, this person has, you know, a giant horn growing out of their head. And so I know that person with the horn. <laughs> and so I don't need to reference a picture because it's so distinct. Uh, this person didn't have a horn, but uh, might be devilish uh, in, in, in the long run. But uh, so <laughs> it, it was just one of those things where it's like, yes, I'm, I'm experiencing the, the, uh, the, the rise and fall of, uh, of apologetics right here uh, for, for police. <laughs> Well, okay. So although Geisler believes that rational arguments for the truth of God's existence can be had, he agrees that such apologetic arguments cannot produce faith. You know, you can't, you can't just all of a sudden, um, uh, you know, say, well, you know, two plus two equals four and boom, all of a sudden faith is produced and, and, and belief is there. But rational arguments often offer proof, but do not necessarily persuade unbelievers of God's existence. They may be objectively correct, but not always subjectively convincing. And again, uh, we, I, I think we covered uh, this a number of times in uh, John Frame's uh, book that uh, we did on, on apologetics as well, and, and showing this, uh, this uh, uh, convincing nature is not always just laying out the brute facts and uh, you know, the, the atheist argumentation of, uh, if, if God was real, uh, there'd be no need for apologetics. Well, you know, if, if, uh, uh, quantum physics is real, then we don't have to do any science. It just happens to be, why, why are we doing all this? Or, you know, all, you know, all, all, all the, all the things that, that we produce in, 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 um, in the sciences, if it's true, then it wouldn't need to be, uh, shown or, or produced because it just, it just is. Well, this is because they're directed at the mind, but not directed of the will. Uh, they can lead the horse to water, but only the Holy Spirit can persuade a person to drink it. So again, this isn't this isn't something that it's it's uh, here's our logic, here's what we think, and it's overlaid with the Bible. Uh, people like Craig and people like Geisler, uh, especially Geisler, uh, who you 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 could you could level critiques at him, but uh, being a slouch towards the Word of God is is probably one that would ring very very hollow if you know his background and and his work with inerrancy. Um, uh, and so uh, th there, there is a formation of of uh, apologetic, apologetic methodology and 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 um, and uh, getting it out there uh, that uh, they derive from scripture as well. Um, and then um, you know it's it's uh, we can't just say oh you know it's only logic it's only philosophy for for these guys and and they they get the place at the table and uh, everyone else is just doing Bible study. Nope, they're 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 also referencing. Uh, scripture here as well. Yeah, right. All right. So rationality, the the idea here isn't uh, does isn't a guarantee of convincing someone, right? Because there's a subjective uh, element with regard to persuasion and being convinced. And so, as he says, you can lead a horse to water, but it's only the Holy Spirit that can persuade him to drink, right? Yeah, good. All right, so the next issue then has to do with apologetics and theology, right? What's the relationship between apologetics and theology? And they're going to argue from a classical approach that actually uh, apologetics is a foundation of theology. So generally speaking, classical apologists uh, understand the purpose of apologetics to be showing the rationality of the foundational truths and principles on which Christian theology is based. So Warfield, for instance, has articulated this classical understanding of the purpose of apologetics as justification of the grounds of theology 
perhaps more uh, explicitly than anybody else, right? So notice apologetics is a justification of the grounds of theology. Warfield writes, it is, in other words, the function of apologetics to investigate, explicate, and establish the grounds on which a theology, that is a science or systematized knowledge of God, is possible. And on the basis of which every science which has God for its objects, object must rest. So here, um, apologetics is the grounds theology, right? right. It, uh, it, it, uh, it's what kind of holds theology up is, right. is what we might suggest. Here. Yeah. So yeah, it's foundational. Right. So, it, right. So it's no wonder why that's the big focus for classical apologetics when, when, when it's your foundation, when it's your base, um, you know, that's where you want to start. That's where you want to drive things to. And again, uh, uh, no slouch in his own right for theology, but uh, uh, Warfield here is is making the case that um, it, it's through uh, this reason and logic that we are able to uh, do the science of theology, which uh, I think uh, um, our, our atheist friends would probably disagree with of calling this science because, uh, you know, there's so many different interpretations, but um, uh, it's... it's uh, it's, you know, just because you have competing theories out there in the world for different sciences doesn't mean that uh, you just throw up your hands and uh, your computer no longer works. You know. <laughs> well, the crucial point here is that for the classical apologist, theology is a discipline to which people are invited after becoming a Christian. So theology is the thing that you do after you believe. Thus, he seeks to keep theological questions of controversy among Christians on the back burner in apologetic arguments directed to non-Christians. C.S. Lewis was typical of many classical apologists that he understood the task of apologetics to defend the basic message of, and here, here's, here's the thing that proves this uh, claim true, uh, he's trying to defend the basic message of mere Christianity and not arguing for one theological or denominational tradition within Christianity. Now, there are critiques that we can go through and, and go over, but what we're doing is we're going through this book and we're laying a foundation. And I'm saying that mostly for me, uh, holding my tongue. And so, yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, good. So, yeah, so Lewis is an illustration of this, right? right. We're trying to, they, the classical apologist is trying to defend basic theism. And then they get to the God, the, the theistic beliefs of Christianity or the God of the Bible, right? right? So again, this two-step approach, right. and so, that's what Lewis is, is uh, referring to. Right. So you're not going to have a question of, uh, well, you know, uh, who's baptism for? Ch uh, children or, 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 or only uh, professing believers? to the non-christian well you know why are we going there let's 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 figure out the the main basics like uh is is god the um you know all the ultimate standard is is, is he the creator uh did he send a son let's uh, uh, lewis wants to boil down kind of the 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 big big messages of the 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 christian message and th those are the things that he wants to put forward to to the unbeliever to get him convinced and then we can under the scope of this tent we can uh have our little uh, uh, fiefdoms. That's right. All right. So that's uh, apologetics and theology. So the next big question then that they deal with is uh, apologetics and philosophy, right? And uh, they, they, they've entitled this particular section in this chapter, The Constructive Use of Philosophy. So Geisler uh, and co-author Paul Feinberg in their book asserts that philosophy serves in the construction 
of the Christian system and in the refutation of contrary views. So they quote, with approval, C.S. Lewis, uh, his statement that good philosophy must exist if for no other reason, because bad philosophy needs to be answered. <laughs> so philosophy is the necessary prerequisite to systematic theology, which we saw uh, just previously, and to apologetics, because both require the philosophical tools of clear, consistent, and correct thinking. So philosophy is... Um, you know, is foundational, again, for uh, apologetics, just like apologetics is foundation for theology. So really, you have philosophy, apologetics, and then theology is what is the stack that they're working on. So apologetics involves the construction of good arguments or the supplying of good evidence and justification for the basic truths of Christianity. So philosophy is is uh, uh, foundational for a, a good apologetics is the argument here. You need to be able to think clearly. You need to be able to think consistently. You need to have uh, correct thinking uh, in order to for apologetics to be uh, uh, effective. Mm -hmm. Correct. Well, Stuart Hackett, an evangelical philosopher whose students include William Lane Craig, identified philosophy with apologetics perhaps as forcefully as anyone has. Hackett notes that the philosophy deals with such questions as the possibility of knowledge. There's our epistemology, our theory of, of how we know things, the ultimate nature of reality, metaphysics, and our proper conduct in light of reality, ethics. Man, it seems like we're all <laughs> pulling from the same same three here. It's yeah. It's, it's crazy that this is a focus uh, when we're talking about uh, when we're talking about God who uh, made everything and uh, thinks consistent thoughts and uh, requires us to do certain actions. Well, he then suggests that the apologetics uh, that apologetics also seeks to defend a particular set of answers to these questions. In the broad sense, apologetics is practically coextensive with the whole philosophical enterprise. So what we say about God affects uh, what we know about Schrodinger's cat. So <laughs> it's, it's, it's mixed in there with everything. So again, um, you know, uh, different, uh, different schools of thought for apologetics could levy certain, um, uh, inaccurate claims against, uh, other approaches. Uh, but, uh, the classical model isn't just, um, uh, dividing the, the, um, the scope of, of nature to say these things are of gods and these things are of philosophy that we can kind of know. Uh, by setting him off to the side. That, that's, it's not at least what ha uh, Hackett is saying. Right. And so, that, so that's the approach with regard to classical apologetics uh, regarding philosophy. They would argue what we would suggest, or at least assume that you need to know a little bit of philosophy in order to do uh, uh, apologetics correctly, right? Or to be effective in apologetics. So that's philosophy and apologetics. So thanks for joining us, and we'll see you next time. We'll see you next time.